0: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis on the issues that matter every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. I'm Johnny McFarlane and I'm still replacing Mr. Dunkey Duncan Castle's the transfer window's very own Sir Ben Kingsley is away. Still, Ian, perhaps you could give us some insight and analysis of what's going on with
1: the <laughs> Well, the last I heard, Johnny, and I wish him good luck, he was surfboarding in combat uh, on the Mekong River, looking for Colonel Kurtz with Vagnos' Rider of the Valkyrie in his headphones. I wish him luck with that, because let's face it, who's in charge here? You are, Sarge.
0: I love the smell of napalm in the morning. It smells like victory. Indeed it does. Indeed it does. It still does for Liverpool, Johnny, that's for sure. <laughs> but in all seriousness, yet, when's our man coming back? People it, are well, missing that baldy bounce.
1: They are. They are. They're telling us uh, on their, our uh, social media feeds, so, which, of course, are at Transfer Podcast, which is also the same handle on Instagram and Facebook. Where is he? Please bring him back. Has he been kidnapped? Well, we can assure you he's not been kidnapped. uh, Well, not as far as we know. (laughs) Not as far as we know that Colonel Kurtz will return him safely for Monday's transfer window because, of course, the transfer window is now open and we will be bringing you all of the news first.
0: Well, it would be remiss of us not to mention that we wish all our listeners a, a happy new year, which is the other thing we should say before we get started.
1: Indeed, indeed. And thank you for all your uh, interaction engagement in 2019. It's been amazing. We've broken all sorts of records with regards to listenership. Our um, community has grown exponentially and we hope to continue that in 2020. And of course, you are the most important people to us because you're the ones who listen and interact. So let's keep that going, guys and ladies, and anyone else is around.
0: That's the platitudes over, and now we move on to what you're tuning in for, the hard transfer news. And first up, we go to Manchester United to Mr. Paul Pogba, a common uh, subject of discussion here at the transfer window, to put it mildly. Um, Ian, what's, what's the latest there? I understand perhaps he's pushed things a little too far when it comes to his
1: teammates? I believe he has, Johnny. Yeah. Um, how do you solve a problem like Paul Pogba is the question. And the answer is, uh, no one right now seems to know the, an- the answer to that question. Um, I'm told reliably from sources at Manchester United that the latest drama, histrionics, call it what you like, of the Pogba saga, which of course uh Ole Gunnar Solskjaer announced after the defeat to Arsenal, which was that he now requires an operation in his ankle, having taken over two months to recover from said injury by rehabilitation, first in Dubai, then Miami, and then back in Manchester. He played a very small part in the uh, festive fixtures for United. Uh, United fans were hopeful and indeed uh, believed that he would be back, as did Solskjaer, uh, to take a full um, part in the club's uh, upcoming and crucial fixtures in the new year but instead Solskjaer admitted, somewhat strangely um, that his people, i.e. not Manchester United's medical team had advised a operation on his ankle weird considering that they've had two and a half months to consider this already Um, and this could have been done two and a half months ago and therefore his rehabilitation and his recovery would have been much quicker Um, but it's now going to be extended by another three to four weeks if indeed that operation takes place. This has had a knock-on effect (laughs) of uh, alienating some members uh, in the dressing room, uh, his uh, his, uh, teammates, who are getting a bit fed up and sick of the ongoing soap opera that is Paul Pogba at Manchester United. Um, There is open conversations in the dressing room regarding um, questioning Pulpa's commitment to the club, uh, whether he does indeed want to stay, as Mina Ryola claimed um, recently in two or three interviews uh, with the Old Trafford club um, and what his commitment is. Now, it's become a little bit more escalated. Um, I think we have to read into the quote from Solskjaer that I just said about his people. I think we have to look at Raiola's um, comments, which have become um, subsequently regarding, um, I would not send another of my clients to Manchester United. If I sent Maradona, Maldini or Pelli there, they would ruin them. And also that Manchester United um, are not a credible football project. Now, those are very, very condemning and damning statements about Manchester United. And you have to say, Johnny, some of which Manchester will resonate with Manchester United fans who believe that the club has become simply a business and not a, a football team who wants to compete at the highest level. But the situation with Pogba is becoming increasingly toxic, uh, reflected by, as I said, now dissent, open dissent in the dressing room which Solskjaer and his assistants are aware of. Um, I do believe that this latest um, twist in his injury um, could or might lead to his exit in January. The problem that Pogba has, and Viola, of course, is that there are very, very few um, options in terms of an exit strategy. We've spoken before in the podcast about Real Madrid and the conflict between uh, President Florentino Perez, uh, who does not want Pogba at the club, doesn't see him as a necessary uh, recruitment, and Zinedine Zidane, the coach, who is constantly uh, being reviewed week by week in terms of his employment, who does want Pogba. Now, I think the chances of him going to Real Madrid are slim, but They're not impossible because when a player like Pogba comes on the market, and I do believe, and this is, I think, significant, that this latest um, drama with Pogba has convinced Manchester United that perhaps they need to cut the losses and try and find a way to get him out of the club in this window. Um, Don't come up too much. These options are rarely available. So it's possible that Maybe Paris could be persuaded that Pogba, in the long term, only age 26, World Cup winner, clearly has a lot of talent, but lacks motivation at Manchester United. Maybe, just maybe, investing in him at a point where he's available would be a potentially positive move for Real Madrid. However, another um, sort of, uh, I'd say, exit strategy for Pogba because he would accept a return to his former club, Juventus, where he won four consecutive Scudetto, um, and they're now even stronger. Ian, Ian, I'm
0: going to have to stop you there. That, that's a criminal attempt at Italian. It's Scudetti, if you're talking about...
1: Oh, sorry. Plural. Yeah, of course it is. Sorry, a, sorry. Appalling yeah. Italian. It was. It was. Sorry about that. Yeah. Thank you for pulling me up. Merd. Merd Italian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Yeah. I think I mean, you're mixing up your French there uh Right, so where should I restart then? No, no, I was only. Ju- <laughs> I don't think you need to restart, pal. I hope you're editing this. <laughs> <laughs> this has to stay. For Scudetto, I think that's actually. I think technically that's correct because it's each titled individually as a single.
0: All oh, right, okay. You perhaps you're right. I was told it was Scudetti by someone. All right. In Italian. But, you know, you know, these things are, are, are not
1: important. Sent to tries apparently. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll continue. Yes. Uh, so um, with Juventus it's become very complicated, and even more so by the fact that the club have announced the signing of Atalanta's Swedish international midfielder, Diane Kulasevsky. Um, for a fee of 37 million pounds. He's been loaned back to Atalanta for the rest of the season. Very talented, very creative. But the problem for Pogba here is he, like, as in Kulisevsky, who's now confirmed, joins a roster of midfielders. And just get this. Emery Chan, Milan Pjanic, uh, Aaron Ramsey, Adrian Rabio, Rodrigo Bentancur, Blas Tudy, and Sami Kadira. Now, If ever there was a midfield dressing room, which was more than overcrowded, then it's got to be the one at Juve. So Pogba's potential move to Juventus has definitely been put in doubt by the setting of another very talented midfielder. Don't get me wrong, I've spoken to people at Juventus in the last three days and they are keen obviously, because they have to, move out at least two to three midfielders as quickly as possible. Problem is, in the the, um, situation regarding Ramsey and Rabiot, they signed them on free transfers and they're on massive salaries. Therefore, moving them out, and Rabiot would be the one they'd prefer to move, um, is difficult because they would have to take on that financial contract. Um, With regards to Blaise Matudi, he's older. Emre Chan is someone who's been agitating for a very reference to move um, to Torino because he's not adding the game time. And Chan would be a, an intriguing one in terms of returning to the Premier League because he was very successful at Liverpool in his spell there. Um, and still young, still able to do, do a job. And obviously Man- Manchester United are short in defensive midfielders. So there is a possibility, and I think it's a slim one, as I've already said about Real Madrid, that there could be some kind of deal to be done with Juventus regarding Pogba. But I do believe that Pogba and Raiola have kind of dug themselves into a fairly tight corner here with regards to if the player can move in this window. But, as I said, Solskjaer's biggest problem now, Johnny, is that his players currently in the dressing room are fed up of the histrionics, fed up of the drama, And they would rather just get a clean slate and see the guy leave and get someone in who actually is committed to the club and then move on and try and achieve Champions League football.
0: I hate to invoke Sir Alex Ferguson because he's obviously gone, Ian. But at the same time, you look back on the fairly recent history and Sir Alex uh, binned Yap Stam, at the time probably the best centre-half in the world, for rightly calling the Neville's busy Beeps. Um, that that was the only um, thing that the, that he'd actually done wrong in his book. He'd he'd uh, he'd irritated Sir Alex with that. I mean, this is a completely different ball game. The level of what Pogba's got up to, uh, and we know that that, that there's this um, growing movement of WWJCD. What would Jesus Christ do? But I'm going to adapt it, Ian.
1: WWAFD. What would Sir Alex Ferguson have done in this situation? Well, what he did in the, in the first instance when Raiola came to him and said, uh, my boy wants 100 grand a week to stay. And um, Fergie said, get out of my office. I'm not talking to you. Called Pogba and said, your agent's that beep bag. Uh, <laughs> you, need, you need to sack him because your future, if you decide to stay here, will not depend on your agent. You need to find someone else to represent you because he is a malign influence. Pogba chose Raiola over Fergie. Only, let's let's allow other people to judge his um, wisdom on that. Although, to be fair, he obviously achieved a lot of success when he went to Juventus. Um, So what was the likes do? Quite simply, no players bigger than the club. And that's a very kind of, you know, cliched statement and everything else but at Manchester United you'd have to think it does still apply Um, and so yes I would think that even Ole Gunnar Solskjaer who also was brought up under Sir Alex Ferguson must now believe that Pogba's time is over um, at Old Trafford and this needs a resolution it needs a satisfactory one for the club um, and that United need to move on from it and benefit of course from Pogba's departure, which would mean, of course, either a straight cash deal, which would give them a kind of financial wherewithal to um, replace him. Although money's not a problem at Old Trafford uh, in terms of investing in players. But it would be helpful, obviously, to get at least the money, £86 million that they paid for him, back, But I think in this particular market in January, where we know it's difficult to prize any quality player from their current club, then a swap plus cash deal, whether it's with Juventus or with Real Madrid, would be a positive outcome for United, positive outcome for United's dressing room, as Per, we've stated, and also um, a positive outcome for Pogba, who clearly is not motivated, nor indeed even. Um, that bothered about playing for Manchester United since he's made only seven appearances since the start of the season. So, look, from what I'm told, um, Juventus are keen to try and deal and that would mean, as I said, swapping one of said midfielders. Rabio, I think, would be the most obvious one. Um, 24, uh, not got enough game time. Uh, even his mum's been complaining about not enough game time at Juventus. Uh, but, would suit Manchester United's um, mode of play right now. Uh, I think he would be a, a definite positive addition to their squad. Not the same player as Pogba in terms of attacking sense, but they've got a very, very potent attacking three anyway, and they're looking to augment that with a number 10. So Rabiot would be the man to come in and sit beside Fred or McTominay, who's obviously now a long-term injury problem. Um, and Matic wants to get out in January as well, despite playing uh, against Arsenal. So I believe that there's, as I said, there's scope for movement. I'm just not convinced that the complexities of any deal for Pogba, which are going to be um, complicated um, because of image rights, et cetera, et cetera. And one thing, Johnny, as well, and, and because this is quite uh, uh, you know, ironic, given uh, Ed Woodward's, um, insistence on well, our social media profile globally, et etc. et cetera. If you go to Paul Pogba's Twitter account, you will see that he doesn't even mention in any stage that he plays for Manchester United. He actually quotes his sponsor as a, uh, that he is a global representative of his sponsor, which is a sportswear firm and includes a picture of him winning the World Cup for France. Now, Ed Woodward must be absolutely humiliated by that, given his boast of "we have the biggest social media following in the world." So um, even that—and I know it's a small thing—but it still is significant with regards to what Pogba's attitude towards Manchester United is. He doesn't see himself as a Manchester United player. So look, this is a this is a divorce waiting to happen. They've got what 27 days to sort it out. Let's see what they do.
0: Okay, from the team sitting in fifth in the Premier League to the side in fourth, nestled comfortably in one of those Champions League spots is Chelsea. They're on the lookout for a striker. And as we discussed in the last podcast, the man they are looking at is Moussa Dembele. Now, Leon yesterday uh, released a statement on their social media channels and their website saying that they don't want to sell... The player, but they didn't go as far as to say they won't be sold under any circumstances, Ian. And you understand there may be some movement from Chelsea on that front.
1: Indeed, there is, Johnny. Um, and I, you know, I'm pleased that we have yet again fulfilled our promise to our listeners that we bring the news before it becomes news. Because on Monday of this week, uh, we said that Chelsea had offered Olivier Giroud plus cash for Moussa Dembélé. And uh, obviously, as you have said, in the meantime, Lyon have uh, confirmed that they've had a bid from Chelsea, which they've rejected, uh, and that they don't want to sell. Now, this is classic football tactics in terms of transfers. Also, um, the the president, um, Olas does this all the time as well. He plays hardball. My information is that Chelsea are willing to increase their bids from €40 million um, it seems that uh, the Giroud option is still open, but not necessarily um, uh, a game-breaker in terms of the transfer itself. Leon would accept just cash only for Dembele. Um, I think Chelsea would be prepared to go up to around €50 million euros for the player that Leon bought for £23 million pounds from Celtic uh, two years ago. Um, significant profit and uh, Jean-Marie Olas, the president is a very very um, clever and has proven himself to be a very good operator the transfer market with regards to uh, flipping players um, either in a short term or in the medium term uh, he buys on a lesser price and then obviously uh, they play well for Lyon and um, they are then sold for a much more valuable sum so uh I think, as we discussed on Monday, the sticking point here is that Dembele, at 23, feels that he needs to go to a club where he will be played and he'll get game time. Um, And obviously, Tammy Abraham is a favourite. Frank Lampard, the Chelsea coach. And he would have to prove himself and take over that spot because Chelsea are not likely Mm -hmm. to switch to a two-man-up-front formation uh, very soon, given the attacking uh, prowess they have in the three attacking midfielders that play behind. So at the moment, Dembele would have to come in and improve himself and then obviously um, replace Abraham if he plays well. And that's going to be a, a tough task, given that Abraham is currently um, third-top scorer in the Premier League this season. Um, and as I said, is someone who's been nurtured by Lampard and Jody Morris Uh, in terms of the last few years. First of all, at Chelsea's academy under Morris and then, of course, at Derby County under both coaches. Um, uh, Sorry, not Derby County, he was at Aston Villa uh, last season and scored lots of goals there in terms of their promotion campaign. So um, I think that's the sticking point right now. I don't think the money's a problem. Chelsea, we should say as well, um, their absolute priority is the centre-forward. There's been a lot of talk about them signing another creative midfielder. Um, I'm reliably informed that they made a uh, formal inquiry uh, to Borussia Dortmund last Thursday with regards to Jadon Sancho, and they were quoted, uh, I, in my view, an astronomical fee of €120 million, euros, and that did not include the €50 million commission to the player's agent. Uh, They have now stepped away from that and said that's not going to happen. They also had an interest in Crystal Palace's left-sided attacking midfielder, Wilfred Zaha, Um, similar kind of player, but 28. Um, I'm told that the wages that Zaha is asking for, um, Chelsea believe would upset their dressing room. He wants in excess of £200,000 per week. Currently, there's only two players on that amount of money at Chelsea, which you may find surprising. But actually, if you look at their squad, um, it's quite young. Um, It's very young, actually, in terms of Chelsea terms. But there's only two players who are currently in the first team who are on excess of £200,000 a week. is looking for substantially more than that. And Frank Lampard has said that he does not want a player coming in on that kind of salary when they're currently in negotiations to renew contracts with Tammy Abraham, with Mason Mount, and with Rhys James. Um, And that could extend to Tariq Lamptey as well, who is out of contract at the end of the season and made his first appearance uh, of the season for the first team against Arsenal and was quite influential. So that would be a a no-go for Chelsea as well. So Chelsea's two main targets now are striker, absolute priority, and a centre-back because Lampard feels they lack a dominant centre-half, someone who can manage a game, someone who can um, tell the other players in the defence where to go. Obviously, Cesar uh, Spilicueta is the captain and has been playing consistently and consistently well, um, but he can influence the game mm. in Lampard's view to the same extent a centre-half can. And remember, Lampard someone who played with a dominant centre-half his entire career in John Terry. So he values that contribution in that area. So I'm told that there's the first two, one and two priorities for Chelsea are one striker, two centre-back. And by the way, I'm not sure Nathan Aki is the answer to that for Chelsea. Despite his experience with Bournemouth over the last couple of seasons, I don't think he's got the personality, um, but they do have a buyback clause and he's certainly a very skilled and um, uh, very uh, well-respected defender in the Premier League, Johnny. So I think that's going to be interesting to see how that one pans out over the next uh, set of four weeks regarding where Chelsea recruit. I st- I'm I'm not convinced they won't still recruit at left side attack. And of course, Johnny, that's something which we can come on to with regards to Spurs, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Ian. Um, Spurs are having a, a slightly rocky spell, you might say, after a very good start under Jose, and um, perhaps this transfer window gives him an opportunity to look at some new
1: players coming in to rejuvenate things. Indeed, and um, unsurprisingly, and I do think this is a very kind of sensible, almost logical move for Tottenham Hotspur. They uh, have contacted representatives of William, the Chelsea winger. He's now 31. He's in the last six months of his contract at Stamford Bridge. Um, There have been negotiations with regards to keeping him. I think Lampard is relatively keen to have him re signed because he's used him a lot this season and he has actually produced um, some exceptional performances. But um, William wants security. Uh, in terms of a contract. He's not willing to accept the terms of a one-year extension, which Chelsea um, followed this rule of over 30s only get a one-year offer. Um, Tottenham would certainly provide, at this moment in time, a very viable option and potentially a -a two-and-a-half-year contract. Remember, William was a player that Chelsea effectively stole from the nose of Tottenham when he signed uh, to the Stamford Bridge Club. Um, He had a medical at Tottenham, but then a certain agent offered him to Chelsea and said, you're missing out on something special here. And uh, Chelsea immediately came in and literally got him a car to take him across London and had a medical at Chelsea and signed. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. But William is someone who um, would certainly add a lot to Tottenham's attack in terms of his intelligence, his tactical nows. Also, his pace and delivery, which are exceptional. His goal assist rate is very impressive, as is as his scoring, considering he plays wide on the right or left. So, Mourinho is very keen to take Willian. Um, obviously, there's a question over Christian Eriksen staying or not, because his contract also expires in six months' time. Inter Milan are interested in Eriksen. They've made a formal inquiry there. Not that um, William's a direct replacement, because Eriksen plays centrally. But he would be a very good addition to the Spurs squad. So, um, if William were to leave Chelsea, as I just said, there is a protocol now at Chelsea where um, one the priority is um, centre forward to support Tammy Abraham, two is centre back. But if William leaves, then Frank Lampard would have a very good case to make with regards to recruiting in attacking midfield. Um, Pedro's not been used as much this season, and I think there's a reason for that. Obviously, they've got Calum hudson Adoy, they've got Christian Pulisic, um, Mason Mount plays with the centre. But I think there would be interest for Chelsea in recruiting in that third position, should Willian and Spurs agree a move. I'm led to believe that Chelsea would not necessarily step in Willian's way. Roman Abramovich is quite an interesting character in this sense. If he feels like players have... Um, done well and been loyal Um, and the instance uh, that I would quote in regards to a good example of this was when Petr Cech wanted to leave to go to Arsenal it was Abramovic who made the decision to allow him to leave purely on the basis of personal friendship and on loyalty uh, the fact that Cech had given the best years of his career to the club and indeed won almost every trophy uh, domestically and European wise so, I think William comes into that category as well. And if he declared his uh, desire to join Tottenham Hotspur, despite the fact it was not a London club and a direct rival, the same as Czech, who went to Arsenal, then William would be allowed to leave. So, it's one to look out for. Um, I'd say there's a 50 50 chance at this point that that will happen, but it does depend slightly on Ericsson. And if Ericsson finds a club willing to pay the salary he is looking for in his next move, but if that's the case, I would expect Spurs to move for William.
0: There's another player as well sitting at Borussia Dortmund right now, pretty unhappy that they've spent a, a fair chunk of change on Erling Haaland, mm. and that is
1: Paco Alcacer. You, you pronounce it for me. Alcacer. This is a very interesting one. What you've got here is 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 not um, you know not a reserve player by any stretch of the imagination. It's full Spain international. Um, Came through, Brazil, uh, came through the Barcelona um, La Masia, um, was on loan at Dortmund before signing permanently, but has been limited in his appearances this season, sees the signing of Haaland as effectively signalling the end of his ability to get games uh, at Borussia Dortmund. He's only 26, and in 11 appearances so far this season has scored five goals. Now, he's a point striker, he's a number nine. He can also go left or right if required but his preferred position is to play through the middle now you tell me or anyone out there guys who are listening tell me how many strikers are available in this transfer window with Alcacer's experience and goal record um, available for a relatively low price I would suspect around 25 to 30 million euros now the sight that all Tottenham fans dreaded to see uh, came not when Southampton scored a goal and Danny Ings. It was a very good goal um, this week, but was when Harry Kane held his hamstring and left the field injured. Um, Tottenham without Harry Kane, well, it's like a sausage roll. Well, well I say a rolling sausage without brown sauce doesn't work. Uh, so, if Kane is going to be out for even four to six weeks with a hamstring, could be longer. The second scan will happen in the next 48 hours to discover what the full extent of the injury is. Paco Alcácer is a very, very good replacement, and he is available to take on loan. You don't have to buy him. Dortmund will happily, I'm told, take a loan fee of around 750 to €1 million. So you just pay his wages and pay the loan fee, and you get a guaranteed goal-getter in your team for six months. With a possible option to buy if you want them. Now, I think for Tottenham that's a bit of a no-brainer if indeed Kane's Scan comes back negatively. But look, look at Chelsea. We're, we know Chelsea need a striker as well. We're talking about the difficulties they're getting this um, trying to persuade Dembele to come in as a number two striker With Cathar. I don't think it would be as difficult uh, to get him to come in. And again, it's a it's a almost a it's a freebie, isn't it? It's a let's just see what you get because you can take him on loan. And then, if you like what you see, you can buy him. So, um, I think Alcacer could become quite a big player. And by that, I mean player in the um, card game sense, Johnny. uh, Not necessarily player on the field in this transfer window. Because I think he will be in demand. And he has made it immediately clear, and certainly his agent has, that he's not happy to stay at Dortmund and play second or third fiddle, um, now that Haaland has signed, and wants to move. So, yeah, I think that's an interesting um, one for us to keep an eye on. And, of course, we will bring you the news first on the transfer window.
0: OK, Ian, I've been working on my pronunciation of Alcâther and I've got it sorted, I'm pretty sure. Um, but that player and Willian, you could be forgiven if you're a Spurs fan for saying, well, wait a minute, th- those are kind of players in positions that, while we're not over-encumbered in, uh, in with, with, with talent – we do have some top-quality players in those positions. And they might point to their midfield situation where Ndombele hasn't really kicked on and been the player that they expected. Harry Winks is you know, up and down. Eric Dyer looks a bit plodding. Victor Winyama is not the player he was, physically diminished through injury. In that sort of engine room, you'd think that's where they would be looking to make the, the changes. Am, am I
1: wrong? No, I, I would agree with you, Johnny. I think centre-back and... Um Central so midfield are initially for Tottenham Hotspur right now. And Mourinho certainly feels the same way about that. But um, as a manager, when you are recruiting in January, um, you are limited to what's on the market, what's available, and what you can achieve. Now, um, yes, he could do with a, certainly a, a defensive midfielder, um, unless Ndombele steps up and, you know, can find his feet in the Premier League. Uh, central defence, because we know they're making mistakes, which Mourinho hates, especially um, fairly... You know, they're, they're, they're mistakes that shouldn't be made. They're quite elementary, and, and Mourinho dislikes that intensely. Uh, he, I think he thought he'd solved it when, um, in terms of Alta signing a new contract, and, you know, when, uh, Davison Sanchez, it, it's certainly improved. But he's got problems at right back. Um, I think, don't think even think Verdong is a great left back either. But uh, look, as I said, all managers are limited to what's available, what's in the market and what they can get and what they can achieve. If you can achieve some more goals, um, which I've not been short of, but as I said, Kane is the huge kind of, he's the caveat here. If he's going to be out for two months or or one month or even, you know, more or less. It's very, very, you can't replace Harry Kane. What you can do is try and put an elastoplast on the wound so that it, it stops bleeding and that you can try and keep winning football matches and gaining points. So Alcathair and William would certainly bring that in. Both players are available at relatively low um, finance in terms of investment for fees. If um, there's a loan on one case of Alcathair, and there's uh, a transfer of under 10 million euros for Willian. Um, wages, well, again, everyone writes wages off, so that's fine. So, and again, uh, Mourinho is a hard person to please. And uh, Daniel Levy will probably find that out for the first time in this window, that he needs to um, bend to what Mourinho wants to do and what Mourinho tells him he needs in order to achieve top four at the very least, um, so that they've got Champions League football and of course that means up to 50, 60 million pounds in revenue for the season going forward in 2020, 2021. So, yeah, look, I I, I, I get your point, Um, but as I said, I I do think that um, there will be, uh, I think, compromise with regards to what they can achieve Um, and as well, I do think Mourinho... Um, He's skilled as a coach enough to believe that if he can improve the team overall in quality rather than just improving individual positions, um, then he will be able to cope.
0: Liverpool beat Sheffield United last night quite comfortably 2-0 and it's now 985 days, astonishing, since they lost at Anfield. It's a full calendar year since they lost a game, that's 37 games, 32 wins, five draws and zero losses. It's been a truly epic year for Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp and their supporters. Ian, do teams get into that tunnel facing off against Liverpool and are already beaten before a ball is kicked?
1: You make a good point, Johnny. Um We should point out that those stats are all Premier League, not Champions League or other other games, Um, but the Premier League is potentially the most difficult league in the top five in Europe to win, so uh, there's no reason to denigrate the achievement um, that Liverpool have already achieved so far. I mean, they're still um, a, a few games away from Arsenal's Invincibles, who went, of course, a whole season unbeaten to win the Premier League, but they also are 58 points from 20 games this season, which is the joint highest total in Premier League history, equaling Manchester City's um, total from 20 games in 2017-2018. Now, people always said, and I heard it so many times, um, I felt bored uh, by hearing it, that when you went to Old Trafford and you got in the tunnel, well, the Manchester United team, and this is the team of the 90s, stroke noughties, and even to, to an extent, I guess, a couple of seasons in, in the last decade, that you looked across at your opponents, you looked out towards the pitch at Old Trafford, you heard the noise of the crowd, and as an opposition team, you got scared. And effectively, as you walked out, you thought to yourself, we've got no chance here. Absolutely none. Because it's just too much. They're too good this is one of the biggest clubs in the world and we're probably going to lose by two or three. Now, I did get the feeling watching the game against Sheffield United last night. And this is, a remember, a Sheffield United team who have absolutely outperformed any expectation. They've had good results against top four sides already. Um, They are fearless in the way they approach games. They don't adapt their style of play. Um, and, and kowtow to any opponent and yet they lost a very early goal just after three minutes to Mosala. and then Liverpool looked without playing their kind of their habitual high press didn't need to do that against Sheffield United because they were so much in control of the game 75% possession overall a record number of 827 passes completed on the Premier League. That's a Premier League record in the, the history of the competition since it changed in 1993. They didn't need to do anything special. And I do believe, and I've walked into the tunnel at Anfield and you look up at that legendary sign, this is Anfield, that all Liverpool players touch for good luck as you go on the pitch, that there is a sense now that Anfield as New Old Trafford because that Sheffield United team who has played so well this season and done so much to encourage other clubs that they can compete at the highest level effectively were beaten before they got on the pitch something that was borne out by the early goal borne out by the fact that Liverpool were never under pressure were never threatened and those statistics that you quoted Johnny back that up and they are incredible uh, you know, if you, uh, if you look at Barcelona and um, Juventus' statistics in the same time, they stand up to that, as do Sadio Mane's goal tally for the calendar year, 25, I think, 25, 26, 27 goals. Um, Salah, uh, likewise. It's just a machine. And, then, and this is this is a team who have played more games this season than any other of their rivals because of the Club World Cup, etc., And they've played more games under pressure, done more travel. They've not competed brilliantly in the Champions League group stages, but then again, that's kind of a clop thing now. Um, they kind of scrape through the group stages and then go on and do really well in the knockout stages. So it's a very interesting, um, I think, uh, circumstance that we have now, because we're now going into the last 18 games of the season. And Liverpool... Look to me, and we did say this, we even trademarked it, it's Liverpool's title to lose. Um, look, I just don't see it happening. I really don't. Uh, they've still got a game in hand. They're 13 points ahead. And um, even bookies are, have already paid out on Liverpool winning the title. Now, again, as I said, it's, it's a very um, significant transition from the club that came to Liverpool uh, four years ago got it slightly wrong and muddled for the first two years and then got it together to produce a team and a squad who believe they are going to win every single game. And I think that when opposition teams go into that tunnel, they do the same as opposition uh, opposition teams used to do at Old Trafford. They look across at the rivals and they think, yeah, this isn't going to happen for us. And um, I think that's now one of the factors that they have. So it's, so it's basically factor Anfield. It is a fortress. I would be very, very surprised if they lose a game for the rest of the season at Anfield, certainly in the Premier League anyway. And um, also, I think Liverpool fans have begun to believe that as well because there's no panic anymore. There's no anxiety if they're just a goal up. They know their team are going to win, even if it goes into the last 10 minutes. And, um, and Johnny, you must think the same because of yeah, I know you're quite an admirer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think Liverpool have done some absolutely sensational work both in the transfer market, which this podcast has discussed, um, and in terms of the the training that Jurgen Klopp has done with the players, we've seen such intense improvement from so many of them. Trent Allen, Alexander Arnold is the, the obvious one that, that jumps out to me. What what a player he's become twenty. I mean, these are, these numbers are just absolutely sensational. 20
1: assists for Alexander-Arnold, 17 for Andy Robertson. Pfft, Both I mean, fullbacks. Yeah. 37 assists in the calendar year for your fullbacks.
0: Yeah, it's, it's incredible. In a way, Klopp has revolutionised uh, to a certain extent what you're going to get out of your fullbacks. We've obviously seen Pep Guardiola over his time in management Really, utilise fullbacks in a way that that we haven't necessarily seen before as an attacking force, but but Klopp's taking that on. Ian, just just on the the whole situation with Manchester United and, and Liverpool becoming the new Manchester United, I've got a bit of a curveball for you. The great Manchester United team of nineteen ninety nine, how do you think they would cope with this Liverpool side? Okay, that's
1: um that's an interesting curveball. First of all, um very different style of play and formation. rigid 4 4 So you had uh, Andy Cole, Dwight York up front, who combined brilliantly uh, in almost every way in terms of playing off each other as well as sharing the goals out. Um, midfield, Roy Keane, Paul Scholes, Beckham on the right, Um yeah, kicks on the left. Yeah, kicks <laughs> on the left. And then you would well, the defence could have changed round, round and round about. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it'd be a great game. Uh, and I'd love to put the two of them together um, now, as in United at that point and Liverpool now. I must admit, I think because of the way football has developed, Johnny, um, in terms of tactically uh, and the way that... Um, Teams now uh, look at games in terms of how to win, phases of play. I think game management and intelligence has become much more important in the last 20 years. Um, I don't see United's defence coping with Liverpool's front three very well. But at the same time, I think Van Dijk and or Gomez, uh, Matip, etc. would struggle with Cole and with York. It'd be a very tight game, but I think Liverpool would edge it by a goal. Yeah, who would score that goal, Ian? I'm setting you up here, I'm teeing you up. Sadio Mane.
0: I was thinking Jimmy
1: Milner. (laughs) (laughs) You're not acting today, son. If if it was a penalty, yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, we're going to move on to the quickfire round now, Ian. Um, It's our New Year resolutions for football. So we're going to do one serious and one perhaps not so serious. Ian, I'm going to let you go first with your
1: serious. Serious. My serious one. Okay, so I'm going to take a a theme here, Johnny. And my theme is sort it out. Sorry for shouting, people. (laughs) Um, And my first, so my serious one is Mike Riley, sort it out. We all know what I'm talking about. It's VAR, it's Valerie. Listen to iFab. Listen to Common Sense. Listen to the fans who are singing at every match. It's not football anymore. And do something about it.
0: Okay, mine's also sought it out, but it's aimed at uh, Manchester United. And for me, this is a club who should be up there with with the greatest in the world. And it has completely fallen down, as we know. We've tracked uh, the descent here on the podcast brilliantly, I think. Um, I think it's time for Ed Woodward to splash some cash. We talked about players like Kaladu Koulibaly last week or the week before. That's the kind of player that Manchester United should be going out and getting. None of this It's fishing for youngsters who are going to come in and maybe be top class in five years' time. United need to go out and get players now. They're fifth in the Premier League and that must be a priority for Woodward. In terms of the management situation... You either back Ole or Solskjaer or you sack him. Enough of this nonsense. Get it sorted, Manchester United.
1: That's my rallying call, Ian. Well, that's a very good point. And, you know, maybe the person resenting should be Ed Woodward, not Ole all, all Gunnar Solskjaer. But that's a <laughs> that's certainly something we've discussed a lot in 2019. So let's not go back there. So my not-so-serious one, Johnny. I'm going to be a, a tiny, please indulge me, a tiny bit of love, naval navel-gazing. But all of our listeners will recognise why I'm saying this. So my sorted out for 2020 goes to Duncan Castles, the Mekong surfer, <laughs> who in every single time with a quick fire round, he turns into the long fire round. Duncan, we implore <laughs> you, take it to 30 seconds, mate. That's why it's called quick fire.
0: Mine is about Brexit, Ian. It's based around the fact that I noticed that Ian Holloway is back in management with Grimsby. And uh, that made me realise that also Alan Pardew is back in management with Den Haag in Holland. So it got me thinking, there's one guy, one Brexit-style manager, that is still without a job. And that is, of course, Mr. Supersize, Sam Allardyce. <laughs> Firing off his grenade get, as we speak. <laughs> I think we need to start a campaign right here, right now, on the Transfer Window podcast, to get Brexit bosses back. It's time for Sam Allardyce to take his rightful place because Brexit's going to get done and we want the Brexit bosses
1: back, all three of them. I think that's a great shout. I think, I think Sam should fire up the Granada, get himself down to number 10 and tell Boris Johnson that it's time he made a cabinet position for the minister to appoint British football managers in the Premier League. And that <laughs> Big Sam himself should be making those decisions. There's not enough gammon in this country, Ian. it would be if big sam was in charge
0: right we're going to call uh, i'm obviously kidding i don't back brexit nor these brexit managers Uh, i think any club who hires sam allardyce probably needs to have a good strong look at themselves unless they're in deep deep relegation doo-doo right okay it's time to slam this particular transfer window shut but fear not we're going to be back on monday with another episode, and Mr Duncan Castles, you'll be delighted to know, should be back. We're not sure. Hopefully he hasn't been captured, or tortured, or (laughs) (laughs) dismembered between now and then. But we will will bring you that
1: news first, if if it's the case.
0: (laughs) And we'll be here regardless, let's be honest. There won't be a period of mourning or anything like that. We'll just get get stuck right back into the transfer news. Uh, We'll just be sons, uh, the Dundonian Uh, for another few episodes uh, until we sew them back together to continue the debate we are all on twitter and even have our own transfer window official account at transfer podcast you can get me at johnny r mcfarlane ian is at garbo sj and duncan is still i think available i think he is still tweeting at duncan castles he's taking and fielding abuse left right and center as usual but he's still on the platform If you like the podcast, and we know thousands of you do, give something back by popping onto iTunes and giving us a review as this helps us reach as many listeners as possible. Until Monday, thanks for listening.